All right, folks, welcome to the Monsters Madness and Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Justin, here with a quick word before we dive in. Now, in this episode, I chat with musician and legendary television composer Ron Wasserman about teaching Eddie Van Halen the Power Rangers theme, spirit guides, monster movies, Saban, and more. As always, thank you for listening out there, and if you'd like to help the show grow, please leave us a review wherever you're listening to the podcast. Also, if you're interested in watching video, I do post the video to YouTube, so you can find us there also at Monsters Madness and Magic. Anyway, without further ado, here you go. Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. (laughs) All right, Ron, take us back in time. You're a youngster. Are you a book reader, fort builder, troublemaker, or all the above? Oh. Pretty much all of the above, especially <laughs> troublemaker. <laughs> I just always found myself in some sort of mess that I had to get out of. That's why I always hid in the house and played piano. <laughs> Are we talking uh, cherry bombs, or, you know, taking a baseball bat to mailboxes? Or <laughs> Yeah, we're talking cherry bombs and, uh, and moving stuff on people's lawns from one house to another. Harmless kids. Yeah, stuff. yeah. Still, kind of a prick <laughs> so all the above uh what kind of books did you lean towards were you a fantasy guys i was into anything that was dark with a lot of horror so uh, i remember tales from the crypt and all sorts of anything that and then that ended up turning into anything related for some reason to world war ii which i've always kind of been obsessed with and read up on and watched my whole life. Whereabouts did you grow up? In the San Fernando Valley, just outside of Los Angeles, California, the suburbs of Los Angeles, which was a really, really cool place then. I can imagine growing up, seeing some cool stuff, being around that area. Yeah, there was no traffic. There was orange groves everywhere. It was, and now it's just you know, like everything is just packed. So uh, were either your parents musically inclined? Do you think that's where your roots lie? Actually, nobody in the family. I have one cousin that plays clarinet. He went on to do something, but we didn't hang out all that much when we were kids. My parents really didn't have anything to do with music. My dad preferred listening to the news. (laughs) He just didn't get pop music. He'd get very, it would really piss him off for some reason. I don't quite know why, but... (laughs) So I'd always be in my room with headphones on, just searching out radio stations or listening whatever records I had. What records were spinning? Back then, it would have been anything we had around the house so or anything that my cousins or relatives would give me. So old LPs of musicals, which I really wasn't into. But then one of those albums was George Gershwin. I totally got into Gershwin, started learning how to play that stuff. And then just um, anything else I could get my hands on. We were pretty poor, so buying records wasn't really an option. So piano, first instrument? First and only. First and I mean, only. I also played clarinet, I can, which I can't do anymore. I tried a couple years ago. 
I would scare a, a, a duck off with that. It sounded horrible. <laughs> and uh, drums a bit, mm. but I don't have a drum kit anymore because uh, I don't want my neighbors to shoot me. <laughs> That's a good way to get get that done. <laughs> yeah, it's not like they'd be sitting out there going, wow, he's really good. <laughs> they'd be like, oh, shit, some kid got some drums. <laughs> Put Ron back on the piano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, when you think of formative films and TV shows you grew up on, what comes to mind? Well, I watched a lot of 40s films because mm -hmm. they were always airing on TV and that shit was just very cool and dark and that whole black and white film. And then the film noir stuff, which I was really into. Films, this is actually kind of a funny story I've never told. My dad was kind of king of the extras in a bunch of films. And some of them were certainly not age appropriate, but he would drag me to the theater on Saturday. And I don't know how he got me in. I don't remember what the ratings were back then. It seemed like there was G for general audience and triple X, which was the porn <laughs> stuff. But somehow he got me into this stuff in between. So I had some rather traumatic experiences <laughs> just so he could go, that's me. See, that's me there in the background. And then I'd watch like some film called Poppy or something where they cut off a bird's head. And I mean, it's just you know, I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? And then uh, but on the good side, he would drop my sister and myself off at the local theater on Saturdays. And there'd usually be a double feature. And sometimes it would be Clint Eastwood films. So I got mm -hmm. into Westerns. So your dad was an actor. Yeah, he worked at it. He, he had a day job and he retired young because of uh, injuries from being a blue collar guy. Then he just constantly would show up in the backgrounds of all these films. And my kid will even find stuff now. I think he brought up like Breakfast at Tiffany's or something. Wow. He goes, look at this dining room scene. He goes, look in the background to the right. I'm like, oh my God, it's my dad. <laughs> That's very <laughs> cool, pop man. up all the time. My uncle was very successful as a lawyer and doing commercials in Chicago. And when he'd come out here, you know, he'd hang out with some pretty big names, producers and directors, and they were always thinking I should get in the business, but I, I can't stand a camera being pointed at me. I've, I've been okay with it the last decade or so, but every, I just never really, it's not my thing. Would you say, you know, your dad and your uncle being in the business, is that how you sort of got in with the music side of things in terms of film and TV? No, the, the music side was I'm, I'm dead broke. I'm going to starve to death. I may end up homeless. I'm, gonna, I'm doing all these odd jobs and part-time jobs just to make a few bucks. I went to school for photography, but I figured out in the first year, as they did, I should be doing music and I should not be doing photography. I just didn't have the gift, the special gift. And so I just picked up a newspaper called The Recycler, which came out every week for free, started looking at one ads for bands and started joining bands and then started writing for them. And then, of course, the band would break up. There'd be another band and another band and another <laughs> And in one of those bands was a guy named Ron Kanan, who ended up working at Saban Entertainment. Uh, and he brought me in in 89 just to engineer. I could engineer, record, mix for their composers. And I kind of never left in first three years was submitting stuff, trying, which they all rejected, but they gave me notes on. And then finally in came X-Men. And from that day on, I was officially a composer there and 
kind of, it was very busy then for 25, 26 years. Still is, but not like it was. It was <laughs> insane. So how old were you when you started joining bands and stuff? I joined the first one at 14. And then we were going to get a gig. The other guys were older. We were going to get a gig in Las Vegas. And my mom wouldn't let me go. <laughs> for good reason, <laughs> probably. Kind of funny. <laughs> and then, you know, had the high school bands and then started trying to join other bands. But it was always fun because as I got into better, as I got into and helped create better bands, we could, <laughs> we played everywhere in LA. We couldn't get a record deal to save our lives because it's just nearly impossible to even get one. And then the success rate is only two or 3%. But you know, it was great to go to any club in LA and just walk in because they knew me because I was in so many freaking bands. <laughs> it was fun time. What about your first time on stage with a band? Did it go off without a hitch or did your pants fall down or something? The first real gig was at the Roosevelt Hotel in Hollywood with a band I can't remember the name. And there was like a hundred people there and it was great. I don't, I'm not, I don't have any, uh, bad memories of it so it must be great because usually i don't you know i have performance anxiety so but i remember that was a very fun gig right and you you were just mentioned uh, i'm sorry i forgot his name but it was the guy for saban ron canon ron canon so yeah. do you consider that what was your first big break i don't think was power rangers your first uh project you worked on for him it was uh x-men was the first break like i said i'm a big fan of your work so i just have a a list of themes that you've done that I enjoy. So we'll just go through them here. <laughs> okay. So uh, let's just start with King Arthur and the Knights of Justice. What do you, do you, oh, remember, yeah. you remember that gig? <laughs> yeah. I, I listened to it a while ago. Somebody sent me a, a YouTube video or something, but yeah, I remember it. That yeah. may have actually been before X-Men, but I'm not sure. To this day, me and my friends will just listen to that song. There's a very good, uh, there's a like a contemporary rock cover of it. That's just awesome. That's probably the one that you guys sent. You know, when you're dealing with doing these themes for the shows, how many how many channels of approval do you have to go through? Like, is it like once you have an idea, it's good, or do they give you direction? It varies. I mean, X Men was the initial thing. Everybody knew they liked it, and then there was about two weeks of notes and work on that. Power Rangers was from we need a theme to completion took two and a half hours. Wow. Because I mean, it was just, I just, it was a great night. I just banged the thing out. Then when they said Fox loves it, I asked, who are we going to get to sing it? It's the first thing I ever sang on like that. They said, no, it's you. And that took off a whole new career for me of doing, of singing, screaming incorrectly into a microphone. Other themes, a lot of times they'll hear it and they'll have one little note on it. And then there's been a couple times where I've written as many as 26, 27 variations on a theme or different ones for one show. And they end up going back to the first one. So it's always best when they're, when they're down to the wire and they need it yeah. fairly <laughs> because they don't just drag it on and drag it on with more and more notes. Right. Did you just like tinker, perform it on the piano, and then they translate it over to guitar or whatever? No, all that stuff you heard, except for some of the lead guitar later on, all of it's done on a keyboard. You just blew Every my mind. I had no idea. Had no idea. Yeah, it, it, it fooled everybody. Uh, my, my highest compliment on that is 
I had a band called Fisher with my uh, ex-wife and Eddie Van Halen, but his wife, Valerie Bertinelli, was a big fan of the band. So she put one of the songs in a movie she was doing and she said, come on up to the house. We came up to the house, the estate, the compound. And I started and then I was talking to Eddie for a bit and he handed me a guitar and said, I had to learn that damn riff for Woofie. Show me how you played it. And I went over to the grand piano. I was like, don't, don't kill me. And he said, all right. <laughs> Good job. So I fooled the master. I was say, you fooled Eddie. You fooled all of us. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine how it fooled him, but it fooled him. So I'm fine with it. Jeez, man. Like, yeah. Oh, so I know that, you know, there's multiple ways of skinning a cat. I mean, you're brainstorming ideas. Is there, does it always start as like maybe a riff for you or anything like that? Usually when they say they want a theme for something, I'll immediately stop them and say, don't tell me anything about it. Email me, you know, the breakdown of the show and the characters, because what always happens, well, what happens about 90% of the time is as soon as I look at it, I instantly hear the hook in my head, grab my phone, or I used to have, you know, little recorders everywhere, record that idea in before it's gone, get to the piano, work it up a little bit, so it's a bit better and then sit down and work out the actual track. But generally I can hear it pretty much done in my head. Power Rangers was two hours. You said that you yeah, had two and a half hours. That's crazy. Uh, do you remember the initial like seeds of inspiration you had for it or anything like that? Not at the, just uh, I'm white just, hot gone. <laughs> I'm just going to rock now. Now after all the way up to X-Men, anything I submitted was always, it's too fast, too fast for kids. It's too hard for kids. You're too hyper. You're doing too much. So with Power Ranger, I just went, well, I'm just going to rock it, and they need something tomorrow. And worst case scenario, Fox will come back and say, we want to do the show, but we hate that theme he wrote. Do something else. You're just pumping them out, man. I'm just still looking through the list. Dragon Ball yeah, it was, Z. It was definitely you got dra- yeah, pumping out. Dragon Ball Z. Uh, there's a show that my friends and I were talking about recently that I wasn't sure existed because I woke up so early. And I thought it was maybe a dream, but it was called Mummies Alive. And well, lo yeah. and behold, you did that one too. <laughs> yeah, that was a fun, that was a really fun theme. And that's a fine example of where I probably had to write five or six more. And then they went back to the original. So it happened pretty often. With that particular company, that was Deke, D-I-C Entertainment. And that company just always had, well, let's try this. Well, let's try that. So you just keep doing it nothing's precious it's just my day job and you just keep going so how far you know after you do those themes for x-men and power rangers did you realize holy shit you know these are people are really digging these and they kind of become classics well power rangers was fairly quick because after the show debuted maybe three months after they held a thing at universal studios in hollywood at the amphitheater where the power rangers were going to show up live and i lived across from that in this place I was renting in the hills and I knew I was going to it. I knew I had really bad tickets because, you know, they kind of wanted to hide me from everything (laughs) and just keep me working. It was just weird. So we walked over and, you know, we heard on the news, the Hollywood freeway was backed up for five miles with people getting in. But when I got in and it was packed and I heard everybody sing that theme, that's when I knew that that theme was that the show was really, really big. Yeah. But that was, the only time X-Men, I had no idea how big it was till 
I think around 2010, people started writing about it. I knew oh. Power Rangers would big. I never even gave X-Men a second thought. Do you get residuals for those? Or is that the bond? They took all, all uh. rights on, on that stuff. That was the agreement going in. Mm. Okay. I agreed to it. All the composers did. Some of them tried to go back and sue them, but you know, I wasn't, I had no part, no yeah. part of that. I kept my word. I did after three years. Yeah. I thought I'm doing the commercials. I'm doing power Rangers, sweet Valley high VR troopers, everything else you need, all the stuff you're submitting. And I'd like an equal share, a share. Yeah. And they said no. And I left and I still did some stuff for them because it was fine, but that was it. In hindsight, it was it was too bad for both sides because Saban could have had more hit themes. Yeah, really. And it, they never really had another one. So how did you uh, transition from, you know, doing working with Saban to doing film and TV? Well, when I left Saban, I had no prospects. And a friend of mine called and said, hey, Bob Ezrin, who produced Pink Floyd and all these other, I mean, guys of genius. He and another guy have started a gaming company. You want to come over and do games? I said, sure. So I popped over there, and I think my first game was Tamaguchi. And these are PC CD-ROM games, so you have almost no memory. It's not like you can write <laughs> something and say, here, put it on. I mean, you're using these crappy MIDI files. And while that was going on, <coughs> I was still working with my ex-wife trying to get a record deal, which we would end up getting. But then Bob Ezrin said, hey, John Anderson from the band Yes wants to do an indie record. Do you go over and meet with him and you can go hang out with him? So I spent two years with John Anderson while working part time for Saban and doing the games and commercials and did a couple indie records with John Anderson, which was a in his living room. It was so fun. Would you say your process is the same for doing those as the cartoons? You don't want much information up front. Yeah, it doesn't really matter what it is. It's going on feel right at mm -hmm. the time. And those guys were the same when they would hand me the game. There would just be notes. We need this kind of thing for Ace Ventura between here and here. It needs to be 45 seconds and you have 12 kilobits of memory. <laughs> Make it happen. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 11.9. Good. You made it. Pop it in. It's so funny. Like well, the size of a text file now. Yeah, exactly. So I want to ask you about a a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Mr. Uh, Jason Buterin. Oh, you, yeah. <laughs> you scored his film Kill Giggles. How, was that your first horror project? That was, I did another film uh, Between Hell and a Hard Place, I think, before that. Yeah, yeah. He's got another one coming up. But, you know, Jason and I, we, he was a fan of the band Fisher. And he designed our website. So he put a lot of effort in back before I knew how to do any of that crap. So, you know, now it's it's pay f time to pay it forward yeah. or pay it back, actually. And he's a wonderful guy. Oh, yeah. Jason's a good friend of mine. Uh, when he first sent me the Kill Giggles movie, I turn it on maybe on 15 seconds in. And I'm taking notes because I'm reviewing the movie for him. And I wrote in big letters, excellent score. Professional <laughs> score. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Who the hell did the score to this? And I was, oh, it's Ron Washerman. That explains everything. <laughs> How did you get Ron Washerman? <laughs> you just answered it. <laughs> yeah. So, Ron, out of all the projects you've worked on, you know, which ones would you say were the most challenging? Is there some you lost more sleep over than others? No, never really lost sleep. Some of them have just been 
you want to tear your hair out at times because you think you've delivered something perfect. But ultimately, the show creator will come back with notes. And in the long run, they're mostly right about the changes they want. It is their vision. It is their gig. They have every right to ask for it. But nothing's ever really been horrible. I mean, Mm -hmm. back in those days for Deke Entertainment, writing theme after theme after theme, knowing the first one's going to be great. And even saying, you guys, oh, this is like my sixth theme for you. You always go back to the first one. <laughs> but that, so I guess that was the most, it wasn't really frustrating. It was just like, shit, all right, I got to do another one. <laughs> so do you still uh, make original music? Is that something you're still interested in? Yeah, I've, I mean, I, I went, I, I dropped, when I finished the Thundermans for Nickelodeon, then it was, I was kind of happy the phone wasn't ringing as much because really from that well, even prior being in the bands i mean it was seven days a week since x-men i had two one-week breaks two real one-week vacations and so it was okay that it slowed down and it slowed down to 40 hours a week and then it steps up and like last year i was doing a movie then i was doing the 30-year power ranger review then the actor's strike came it started on a friday the writer's striking on monday a company called and said, hey, we need a bunch of stuff for reality TV. So started writing for that. So I still do it every day, but I really, you know, keep it down to like four or five hours instead mm. of instead of uh, 12 or 15. Right. So outside of, you know, that work, would you do you still make original like music that you want to release as a maybe solo artist or anything like that? Probably not. I mean, I may still end up doing something with uh fisher again eventually with her but we split up four years ago and now we're on really good terms up to then it was we we weren't fighting but it would have been uncomfortable but i think that might happen again sometime well this is uh this is uh something i like to ask everyone ron just because you never know have you uh, ever had an experience you would consider supernatural or paranormal oh yeah sure i had that with john anderson at the house a couple of couple of things that i can remember once he said, I want to get a Bosendorf for piano. I'm going to make it happen this week. And remember, although everybody knew the band, yes, it's not like they were currently charting. You know, it had been some time. Yeah. And he's doing these indie records mostly for fun. And lo and behold, three days later, there's a Bosendorf for piano. It's like a $200,000 piano sitting in his living room. And I said, uh, how'd you do that? He goes, oh. I thought about it. I made a few calls. So this one's here on, it's on loan as long as we need it. Then he was leaving town and he said, will you keep mixing? Sorry, that was a bad impression of John Anderson, but he does have a very high voice. <laughs> he, and he said, I'm going to send a spirit to look after you. And I went, okay, I don't really need it. I'm mixing. I mean, I know where the fridge is. Everything's good. And this hawk shows up and is kind of hanging out on the balcony for the whole week. This is honest to God. And then a few months later, he moved up to San Luis Obispo. I went up there and met with all the band guys They were gonna record in an old bank building. But it went up to the house he was at, and he goes, oh, he likes you, and looks above, and there's a hawk just kind of hovering above. And that doesn't even begin to describe the stuff that goes on in John's life. Holy crap. Weird, weird, positive but weird stuff. And he just attracts that kind of stuff. So that's really the most consistent amount of supernatural 
how the hell is that happening? He can't fake. I mean, the piano, he could have called friends and had one. But the birds, that was weird. Yeah, that is uh, that definitely counts. <laughs> and that he said it would happen before it happens makes yeah, it counts. Yes. So to piggyback off of that one, another question is, uh, what scared you as a kid? Uh, water. I've always had a fear of what I'll go in, I'll swim, but I have this, I've always had a fear of, uh, drowning. Like most people have a fear of drowning. It's reasonable fear, but I was terrified if I was thrown in a pool, you might as well have just been stabbing me to death. <laughs> I was terrified. I can agree with water, but for probably because of jaws. Was <laughs> that's why yeah. I was scared of water. <laughs> I think somebody let me slip under the water when I was a baby, and <laughs> oh, or I stuck, drowned in another life. I have no idea. Stuck with you, huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, just to wind down with these last few here, Ron, have you seen any good movies lately? I loved Otto with Tom Hanks. I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, I think it's just a Netflix film. It's just a great film. And then um, I'm trying to think of, I'm so bad with this. See, this is like my whole career. You finish a project, you forget about it, move on. Yeah. It's kind of like you erase, you erase the chalkboard every time. I did love Oppenheimer. Oh, yeah. I thought it was uh, maybe, you know, as everybody jokes, it was two hours too long, but it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I liked it too. My friend, when we left, said, I felt like there should have been more bomb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, should have been more bomb. Oh, and believe it or not, I was in uh, Nevada with visiting my sister and my little nieces, and they said, you're going to watch the Barbie film, which I just thought, well, I may, maybe I'll hopefully fall asleep or something. We watched the Barbie film, and I have to admit, it's a really good film. Most people that I've heard uh, have, that have seen have said it's good. Yeah, it's it's not what I expected. I really thought it was going to be a little kitty, silly film. Yeah, it's really not. It's such weird. The whole thing is just digital, fake CGI background. So it's but it's done really well. It's just a giant Barbie commercial, but yeah. at least it was an interesting story. I'm I'll, almost I'll embarrassed it, to say it, but I thought it was really good. And whoever picked all the music for it the music supervisor was brilliant the tracks were all great what a contrast though just having those two movies released the same weekend who planned it somebody (laughs) planned that out (laughs) and barbie ends up making like two billion (laughs) dollars crazy so uh, ron what would you say is the best uh musical advice you've received and who gave it to you it was sort of self-learned which was as far as getting in the business which is you're not going to get an agent i have never even had an agent just and yes you may be great but you have to be humble and you've got to start off by being a servant you got to work your way up in this industry it's like anything and i've had a few friends do it one went and knocked on han zimmer's door and said basically i'm your bitch i'll make coffee and started working on a sample library and then started scoring stuff that's probably the best advice on how to get in the other musical advice is don't try to copy whatever's popular unless it's an assignment if you're being hired and they want something that sounds exactly like pink song or whatever that's fine but other than that just be completely honest it is art be yourself that will come through to an audience more than you'd believe like i said some of the themes that you've done i didn't necessarily know that they were you coming into the interview when i was just looking up stuff but now that i know they're you they're, your thread isn't all of them just listening to power rangers as an x-men you can hear it it's that energy and 
it's everything that was bottled up that I wanted to be able that I wished I'd had when I was a kid growing up because everything was just so lame and slow and childish and that's perfectly appropriate for preschool stuff but just some of those other themes they just were weak I don't know if you know him personally, but just before we started recording today, I recorded with Jason Page, who did the vocals for the Pokemon theme song. Oh, cool. And I was just like, man, I'm recording with Ron Wasserman later. And between you guys, I've got my childhood covered today. I just had goosebumps all day long. (laughs) (laughs) I remember hearing a story that they came to to Saban with Pokemon. And he turned it down, and then it exploded. And uh, I think that's one of his regrets for all the for all the brilliant stuff that he was able to figure out how to do and what who was looking for what. That one must have really pissed him off. So I guess that's why he started Digimon, <laughs> which, yeah, which was also successful. Yeah, yeah, he's not a fool. The guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> Well, Ryan, just to put a bow on everything here, uh, tell folks what's on the horizon for you, where they can find you and all that good stuff. Well, to find me, just go to ronw.com, R-O-N-W.com. And uh, what's coming up next year, a video game I've been working on, on and off for five years, called The Next World RPG. Absolutely amazing. And I'm hoping it comes out next year. Awesome. The guy promises me, it's coming out next year. So we'll see. And that was a big, huge amount of cyberpunk score I did. Don't break any NDAs or anything. I've gotten in trouble with it. <laughs> nah, that's not an NDA. That's just promotion. And the other stuff that that was uh, had signed NDAs for was right before the strike. And yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> awesome. Well, Ron, I'm not going to keep you all afternoon here. It's been a pleasure talking to you, man. Uh, big fan. Thank you again. Pleasure talking to you, too. Have a great day. All right, folks. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Ron. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you back next time. Monsters, madness, and magic. (laughs) 